as faithful witnesses of Jesus, his presence with us, and the power of the resurrection. We've seen that the Spirit, by grace, makes us alive together in Christ. Uh, it's a miracle that anyone is a Christian. It's a gift. And then we, we saw how the, experience, the, the, the Spirit makes the, helps us experience God's love uh, in, in real space and real time. And then last week we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, how we're equipped to love one another, and we're going to continue that theme looking at the gifts of the Spirit this morning. And so let's read this passage and, and pray. This is the word of our God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, or another interpretation to another, another ter the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray together. This is God's word. Father, I pray this morning that your, your spirit would make your love real to our hearts, that we would be strengthened by your grace to us. And so we thank you for these gifts that we've heard about and, and, and pray that we would be able to live out the portrait of the church that Paul paints here, that, that we would care for each and every member, that we would suffer together and that we would rejoice together. And in doing so, um, make the gospel known. Make Jesus known across the street and around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, if I had to ask you, how, how would you describe a saint? Or maybe even more particular, do you feel like a saint this morning? Uh, how would you answer that? <laughs> right, I, I got close to a saint once. Uh, St. Anthony, actually. It wasn't all of the saint, it was only part of him. <laughs> it was just his tongue. It was about 800 years old. It was in, in a reliquary in a cathedral in Italy. And the, the, the story goes uh, that he was such a good preacher that when they dug him up to honor him 30 years after he died, his tongue hadn't decomposed yet. Right? So you know you're a good pastor when your tongue is the last thing to go. <laughs> right? But he's, he was called a saint. And, and often, it's in our imagination, I know in our own self-conception, right? When we think of a saint, it's these are those who excel at Christianity. These are the ones who get the greatest honor. Um, you know, if we had to pick a part of the body, right? They're the ones that are most visible and most attractive and the ones that we want to sell and say, here's why you should come be a Christian. Look at the saint. But that's not how Paul conceives of, of the picture, Right, because we're we're in the letter to the Corinthians, and the the church at Corinth is notorious for being far from what we would conceive as saints. Right, they're spiritually alive. They've confessed faith. Uh, this is a young church in a in a city. There's a lot of spiritual activity happening, but it's also incredibly dysfunctional and chaotic. Right? I mean, there's people have their favorite pastors, and think. They're better depending on who, who they like more, right? They, some people are suing each other in the church. Uh, there's very public moral failures. This guy has an inappropriate relationship with his mother or stepmother, right? And that relationship was being apparently arrogantly celebrated in the church. Uh, they have confusion over doctrine. Did Jesus really physically, bodily rise from the dead? That's chapter 15. They have all kinds of spiritual gifts, healings, tongues, prophecies, but they're arguing over who is the greatest, <laughs> who's the most important. Uh, they take communion together, but they're getting drunk at communion, right? And the, the rich are going first and not waiting for the poor who are not able to participate. I mean, they're, they're, they're failing at potlucks. Some people are going home hungry. <laughs> and so altogether, right, if you were to diagnose this church, 
there is a very clear lack of love for one another. Despite their profession of faith, <laughs> despite the evidence of the Holy Spirit doing something through them, and despite all of that, Paul has the audacity to begin his letter to say to those sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ, to those called to be saints, together with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. <laughs> right, so that's what this, who this letter is addressing. People who are saints and know it's a gift of grace, or at least that's what Paul is pushing over and over and over again, is don't think too highly of yourself. <laughs> look, at what, look at what Christ has done. All right, so if you're a Christian this morning, that's who you are. It's something, being a saint is something you receive. It's not something you achieve. Uh, and then what Paul does is part of the grace that you receive being a Christian, being called a saint, receiving this gift of salvation. Part of the grace you receive is also the gifts of the Spirit to help us live together, to help us love one another. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, that every believer is given gifts so that every believer may participate in the life of the church together. And that's good news, right? That there are no unimportant members of the church. Of course, the, the image, right, Paul uses is a body. That's what we're going to talk about here. Uh, and the way a body works, right, if one member of your body is in pain, Every other part of your body compensates and reacts and responds accordingly. Right? Every member exists to serve the one, the one body. There's unity and diversity. And Paul's grabbing a hold of a pretty well-known uh, illustration from the ancient world. There's a, we have an ancient Roman fable that tells a story like this. Um, that, that back in the day, you know, this imaginary time when members of the body did not get along... And each member had ideas and a voice of their own. And these other members thought it was unfair that they should have to go through all the trouble of providing for the stomach, while the belly just sits there receiving what is given to it. And so the other members of the body determined to stop providing for the belly. They, they said, we are going to starve the stomach into submission. <laughs> and of course, as they did that, the entire body weakened, and it became clear to them that even though the belly had a, a really important task, it was no small task, it was no more nourished than when it nourished the rest of the body. That in order for the stomach to be nourished, that fact, it was still serving the body even though you couldn't see it. All right, it's a, it's a pretty clear illustration. <laughs> that. that I think it shows how a lot of us think of church, or can think of church, right? That there are important members, right? In some, some communities, right, that's the pastor. Uh, don't you dare speak against the Lord's anointed type, type mentality. Um, or others just want to be like the belly and just receive, right? And not be the members that serve. And so what Paul says is um, the gospel changes the way we conceive of life together and the way we, and the way we live together uh, is empowered by the life of the Spirit. 
so that every member of the body matters. So let, let's see what Paul has to say about this. Right? That the church doesn't exist to nourish me. We, we are nourished in Christ to nourish one another. Um, so I'm going to ask three questions here this morning. What are the gifts? What are the gifts for? And then we'll mention briefly a better way that will lead us to the table. All right, so what are the gifts of the Spirit? This isn't the only list in the New Testament. You can find lists of, of various gifts of the Spirit in Ephesians 4 and in Romans 12. You have a couple different lists here. But the idea is um, that when you became a Christian, Jesus doesn't leave you alone to, to flounder in a world that goes not well. He gives you gifts to, to love one another, to serve one another in a world that is broken. So the, the, the image that Paul uses in Ephesians 4 is Jesus is this conquering king who's taken plunder, and, and the, the plunder, these captives that he's taken, he's now going to distribute to the church generously to help them grow up, right? to help them change, so that they might live faithfully among a rebellious people. Right, and so you can find things like pastors, teachers, gifts of hospitality, gifts of mercy and kindness, generic gifts like just serving, um, healing. There's dramatic gifts like tongues, um, prophecies, faith is on the list. I'm not going to list them all, but the idea is that Jesus, as our generous king, gives individuals to the church, empowered by the Spirit. And so the, right, there are no insignificant members of the church. Uh, verse 7 in our passage this morning says, To each, right, to each believer, each member, is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right, it's a pretty amazing statement to say that each saint, each Christian, is given the Holy Spirit so that the church will be better off with them than without them. It's the idea of the common good. In other words, uh, if, you, if you were to try and follow Jesus without the church, without being a part of the body, um, you're, you're impoverishing the church. You're impoverishing Jesus's church to stay away. It's like seeing someone suffering, beaten on the side of the road, and saying, you know, I'm just going to leave that arm amputated over there and not try to, not try to heal them. Right? Now that Paul pictures the church, Christians, saints, together. Right? And every person, is, every believer, is given gifts of the Spirit, right? So what are they? Well, we'll run through some of these here. How many of you remember doing um, spiritual gift inventories? Did anybody else do those too? I mean, that was like, if you were alive and a Christian in the 90s, that was the thing to do. To, it's kind of, kind of the ways people do Enneagram tests now to, to explain our behavior. <laughs> right? Paul, Paul is not giving us an inventory here. He's just saying, here's what it's going to look like when the Spirit's at work. And one, one of the difficulties about, with these inventories is like one is we ended up being siloed, right? You're the hospitality person, you're the mercy person, you're the teacher, as if you don't have a multifaceted personality, <laughs> as all of us do, and multiple gifts as well. 
And often we don't discover our gifts until you're in a position to say, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to serve. And you find out that the Spirit uses that. Um, I mean, that's how I ended up here. Somebody said, do you want to work with teenagers? I was like, I've never worked with teenagers, but sure, I'll show up. Do you want to share your testimony? Sure. And just bit by bit, just by saying yes to whatever opportunities were in front of me, I started to learn how God gifted me and what the Spirit was up to and eventually sent me to seminary, right? Now, what, what Paul's saying here in Corinthians is that what God loves to do is take different people and throw them together, people with different gifts, spiritual gifts. And in Corinth, what they were doing is rather than using what they've been given to serve each other, they were just arguing, using their, their spirituality to puff up their own ego. Right? The idea of an eye saying to a, a hand, I don't need you. Right? And so what Paul does is that, several things. Let's, let's run through the list of the gifts here um, in verse, verse 7 and following. Just get an idea. Here are some of the things God gives to the church So, in order for us to serve one another. right? An utterance of wisdom. Interestingly, that's what the Spirit is described in the Old Testament, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. right? So you'll find people in the church who are really good at connecting our real-world problems to the wisdom of God's Word and what Jesus has done. They're good counselors. Uh, there's people who can utter knowledge, right? I mean, the PCA is full of them. We, we're the big brains of the bunch. I mean, if you want to, they're the ones who have heads full of Bible and theology and, and just knowledge of God and, his, and, and what he's up to, right? Faith is on the list. What, what's the Spirit do? He gives, gives us faith to trust Jesus. And that can be this ordinary moment where you, like every Christian, comes to and says, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. That's what we looked at that in, in, in Ezekiel. The Spirit gives faith. But it could also be the faith that moves mountains that Paul's going to talk about in, in the next chapter. This idea that you will find those in the church going through horrific circumstances and they're giving the extraordinary ability to trust God even though all is dark and all is not well. And that's a gift to the church. Faith to move mountains or faith the size of a mustard seed, but it's still a gift of faith. Uh, healing. There are those, right? We're, we're a Presbyterian, but we believe God heals, right? James says, call the elders, anyone who is sick, and they will pray for you and ask God to heal you. Right? And the idea is of being sick is not just physically unwell, it's, it's also the idea of just being weak in faith. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm floundering. I don't know if I'm going to continue. Right? Call the elders and ask them to pray for you. We, we intentionally do this and make ourselves available every communion Sunday, but you don't have to wait once a month. Right? We're, we're here. Right? No, the, the idea is we believe God can do supernatural things. Um, working of miracles. I mean, in, the, in the New Testament, you can't avoid miracles. The sick getting well, the lame walking, the blind seeing. 
things that are inexplicable apart from God's power being at work. Um, a guy named Craig Keener has a book out called Miracles Today. And all he did was go to all places all over the world and record testimonies of how God has been at work in their lives. The miraculous. Right? And so one example he, he tells about a young lady who became legally blind over a period of three months. So it's what's called rapid onset macular degeneration. At least that's what the doctors tell me. Right? So at 18, finds herself blind legally, can't see. She marries a husband she'd never seen. She has a child she's never seen. And one night, 12 years later, on a whim, praying, the, the husband who's now a pastor, they're praying on the bedside and he just decides again, Lord, please heal my wife. Right? Obviously something they've prayed before. But in this case, her eyes cleared. She could see. And they had scans of the physical degeneration before, right? when, the, when it happened when she was 18, and they scanned her after, and they could see the, the degeneration, the physical tissue in the retina actually healed. Right? And she kept her eyesight to the end of her life, right? apart from the ordinary uh, effects of age. Right? So working with miracles. Um, there's the gift of speaking in tongues. And that was my pastoral email this week. But it was what happened in the, Old Te in the New Testament when the Spirit showed up to, to be clear to everyone that Jesus is not just for one people group, but for all nations. Right? The Spirit gave the gift of being able to speak other languages. It's pretty, it's amazing, right? So they, they, they were preaching the gospel in a language that people from other countries all of a sudden could miraculously hear and understand. And the idea is that the church is and always will be a multi-ethnic family. That's what this gift is about, right? And I've heard stories even today of missionaries who've gone to places and been able to proclaim Christ in a language they never studied. Um, I prayed for that. It never happened. <laughs> I had to do the hard work of trying to fight through Malagasy and French, but um, I did find times when I was talking about Jesus, I felt more clarity and skill. I, I don't have any other explanation than, than maybe it's the Holy Spirit being at work. But in Corinth, well, the way they were using tongues is when they would get together and worship, they were just doing it for the fun of it, right? Um, speaking, speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages, and if you show up into a room and multiple people are speaking multiple different languages and you're supposed to learn about Jesus, you're not going to learn a whole lot. So there is the gift of interpreting. And so the idea is someone would be told, okay, if someone stands up, speaks in another language, someone else is going to be able to interpret that language to then give a clear description of Jesus and whatever the, the message was in the moment. Right? But the, the purpose is to build up the faith for everyone in the room. Uh, there's prophecy. I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole of what that means exactly. But right, prophecy in general is communicating God's will in a way that's bringing encouragement, comfort, and even conviction. And, and Paul describes it that way in, in chapter 14, uh, that, 
that if everyone in the church is able to prophesy, an unbeliever comes in and he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, he's going to fall on his face and say, wow, God is really among you. So there's something about the gift of prophecy that's designed to lead to faith and repentance. Persuasion that that God is with us. And these are just a few of the gifts. We're not going to run through every single one, but the idea is these are the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does for his church in order to build the church and in order to grow us. And what are they for? This is the second point here. Here's what they're not. They're not proof that you're a Christian. Right? I don't know if you've been in that, been in those uh, circles where some will tell you that you have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. I mean, there are denominations that, that founded on that idea. Um, now, remember in, in, in Luke 10, Jesus sent out his disciples, the 72, uh, to short-term mission trips, so to speak. They go out, they proclaim the, the good news of the kingdom, and they come back celebrating, saying, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We have spiritual power. We're doing great, right? This is awesome. And Jesus turns to them and says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, but do not rejoice in this. The spirits that are subject to you, don't rejoice that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are in the Lamb's book of life. Look at Jesus, not at the gifts, right? I mean, you could add what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, that at the end of all things, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're going to say, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Just a clear warning, right? Don't mistake... Um, gifting and spiritual busyness for being a Christian. Got to know Christ and him crucified. And so Jesus is clear that the purpose of the gifts, uh, spiritual gifting, spiritual power, is not to give us assurance, though it can be evidence, but it's not, that's not where your confidence lies. Now, the, the problem in Corinth is what, what these guys were doing is they're using their spiritual gifts to make them feel better. They're rejoicing in the gifts and, and often looking down on those who seemingly had the, the, the unimportant gifts, right? They're the, the, the spiritual all-stars and the peons down below, right? And, and what Paul does through brilliant argumentation is say, show us how the spirit, the gifts of the spirit are designed to be ego smashing, right? to, to humble us, even as he equips us. Right? That, that we cannot supernaturally love and serve one another and get along in a church without the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. So look at this, the, the, the Spirit is for unity in diversity, to bind us together. The word, I'll put it this way, the word for, for grace in Greek is charis. Right? 
Do you know what the word for gifts in Greek that Paul uses over and over again? It's, it's charismata. It's where you get the idea of charismatic churches. And so what Paul has done is showing, he's showing that the grace of God that you receive, a gift that you don't deserve, <laughs> continues by giving you the gifts of the Spirit is also related to grace. Right? Right, the, the, the person who is truly spiritual, a saint, right? it's not talent, it's not gifting, it's not years of academic training, it's a gift of the Spirit. God's favor for the undeserving. And you can, you can go all the way back to chapter 1 where Paul's incredibly blunt, where he says to these, these Christians, not many of you were wise by the world's standards. Not many of you were strong. In fact, you were foolish and you were weak. And so God chose the weak things of the world to shame the wise, and he chose the foolish things, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. And it's his way of saying, don't think you're special. The purpose of the gift of salvation is that let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because Jesus became our redemption, our righteousness, our sanctification. Now the, the idea is spiritual gifts are God continuing, continuing to be gracious to his church. And Paul keeps going here. This is for unity. He says there's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You see what he does? Right? That they, you have the same spirit. You have the same Lord. You have the same God. Um, that everything you have is connecting you to the same person. And so... This person who has a gift of service and is unseen versus the person who's publicly speaking in tongues, right? That has the same source. So what is there to boast about? Right? I mean, we, and I'm going to add too here, right? This is a, we and I, we tend to want to be supernatural. We want just, we want the, the flashy gifts. That'd be really cool, right? And part of what Paul says, by the way, he constructs his phrase here is, there are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, and varieties of activities that are evidence of the Spirit. In other words, there are 10,000 ordinary, mundane, selfless acts in the church that are just as much supernatural evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work <laughs> right? as speaking in another language. Phone calls, meals, hugs, Stopping to say, how are you? Really, I want to know. Um, whatever those mundane acts of service, that's, that's evidence of the Spirit. Right? And then verse 13 keeps going here. We're, we are all baptized into the same Spirit. Baptized into one body, whether you're Jew or Greek, right? Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we're all made to drink of one Spirit. We all have the same spiritual experience with Jesus. It's what connects us. Right? And so, do you know what that's like? To come into a church, not wanting to be like someone else, right? not being envious of someone else's gifts, um, but 
deeply connected because you've had the same experience in the gospel as someone else. Right? That's how the church is formed. Right? The idea is you can have more in common with a poor farmer in India or Vietnam who has experienced the grace of God in the gospel than you do with a fellow American who's voted for the same political candidate or your very own family members. Right? Because you've been baptized through the Spirit, into Christ's body. You know what Paul's remembering? He's remembering Jesus. What did Jesus say? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John makes the editorial comment in chapter 7. By the way, he was talking about the Spirit, but we don't yet have the Spirit. (laughs) He hasn't come yet, but he was talking about the Spirit. And what's interesting is you know who experienced living water first to drink of the same spirit? It wasn't Nicodemus, the Bible scholar. It was the lowly Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, the social outcast, the one who had five husbands and was currently living with someone who was not her husband, the one who was an obvious moral failure, And yet Jesus shared the gospel with her, shared a drink with her, (laughs) did something that Jews would never do because they saw Samaritans as unclean from, from from birth. And so as this Samaritan woman drank of God's kindness, she was given the spirit and, and sent as a missionary. See, this is, this is part of what Paul's argument is. What binds us together as a church is this shared reality that we are all more sinful and selfish than we care to admit, but in Christ we found a love that is deeply satisfying and that we cannot ignore. And everyone has a story of how God covered their guilt, their shame. Drinking of that same spirit binds us together as one body with many parts. <laughs> all right? And so that's why Paul goes on to say, in a body, every member is essential. There's no part of the body that you can say, I don't need you. There may be parts that seem weak and indisposable. Weak and disposable, but they're indispensable. (laughs) Right? Which means, if we're going to be a a spirit-filled church, every Christian is essential for the health of the body. Do you believe that? Right? You have a particular way that the Spirit wants to use to serve, to love, um, to give, to be merciful, to show hospitality, right? To serve in a way that is you, that without you, the body would be impoverished. Right? It's, it's every member participation in, in our life together. And anything less in a church than every member participation would be a willing amputation of Christ's body. You'd be cutting yourself off from those whom Christ loved and died for. See, the gifts that you and I have serve as activity, love, friendship, our present experience of God's love for us in Christ, that's not just for us, it's for the church, for someone else. Unified 
in experience in order to be unified in service for one another. One more, one more quick thing here. All right, what else, is the, what else are the gifts of the Spirit for? Well, if we're a body, he uses that metaphor, it's, it's so that we might care for one another and actually care about each other. All right, it's, ver- it's verse 24 that God has, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Right, so there's the unity piece. But that the members may have the same care for one another. Not playing favorites. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Right? We get the idea. This is when you hurt a part of your body. And I, I strained my shoulder this year. And affecting my rotator cuff that radiated down here, which affected my rib cage and the inflammation then, and then it just hurt to breathe. And then it was hard to walk, and then it was hard to sleep, right? This, this one little part of the body that wasn't working right affected everything. And so Paul's argument here is that as a church, we should look around at each other and say, when you suffer, I suffer. And then when you're not well, I'm not well. Right? And, and we will be a healthier church with you in it when you are well. And that could include physical sickness. Uh, it could include those who are, are willfully ignoring Jesus' commands and we're saying, you're not well, and that's affecting the life of the church. Right? Right? When one part hurts, the body of Christ suffers. And it's... It's the idea that we may have the same care for one another, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, praying with and for each other because we're one body. Which means, right, the pastor's not the most important person in the room, nor are the officers. I know, shock, shock and awe. (laughs) We're one part of the body. And there is an awful lot that goes on in the background of any healthy church that has nothing to do with the leadership but the works of the Spirit equipping you to love and serve one another. And we should be just as willing to celebrate and honor that even when it's not seen. So, here's what this is arguing, right? It's calling for every member of Hope Church to do what they are able by faith. And we'll be a healthy church as we say, how do I serve? Look around the room, who's, who's hurting? How can I love you? How can I serve you? If you do that and want to do that, that's, I would argue, that's the spirit at work and that's a gift to the church. And that's, I think, how Paul ends his argument, right? We have this whole exposition of diagnosing the unhealthiness of the Corinthian church. And then he says, still, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And it goes into the famous love chapter of Corinthians that we love to read at at weddings, (laughs) which is really just a rebuke of a dysfunctional church. Um, probably is appropriate for newlyweds figuring out how to love each other but <laughs> right but he says if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love I'm just a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if if I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith as to to move mountains but have not love I'm nothing if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned 
but have not love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So you see what Paul's trump card is for the, the argument here? Right? If you don't have love, you are nothing, you gain nothing, and you're as annoying as a clanging symbol. <laughs> well, what is that love? I should say, who is that love? Right? It's, it's impossible to read this without seeing this as Christ. This is how Jesus loves. Patient, kind, doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not insisting on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Right? We're reading how Jesus loved us to make us saints. How Jesus loved the church as if it were his own body. Where you have Jesus, the head of the church, or the, the head of the body, honoring the weakest parts, his church. By dying on a cross for us while we were still arrogant, still insisting on in our own way. And when he rose from the dead, ascending, sitting at the right hand of God, right? He has promised to continue to love us with this love that is patient and kind. And so, just as Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body, love is the main gift of the Spirit. And thankfully, because Jesus' love for the church never ends and nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love of God, we have a power now at our fingertips by faith to see the gifts of the Spirit grow in us. So, this will lead us to the table. That's what we're going to taste here in a moment. Um, the love of God in Christ for the church. And how will you and I know that the gifts of the Spirit are at work among us? Well, we look around and we say, Lord, who are you calling me to love? Who are you calling me to serve? How can we live together as one body? And for that to happen, that's, that's in the Lord's hands. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that equips us to love, sometimes in dramatic ways, but often in thousands of little ways, in the background, unseen. And so I pray for Hope Church that we wouldn't just be filled with um, a testimony of the dramatic things, but pe people would know that if they come here, that Christ is at work, the spirit has given us gifts, and they will find Find the love of Christ living and active here. So we are a body, and teach us how to live well together, honoring each and every member. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we... Uh,